Well, if you didn't know, one of my favorite all-time books is Account of a Monte Cristo. Any of you guys read that book before? So a few hands in the room have read it before. So I read that book for the first time as a teenager when I was 15 years old. I was in an English class that assigned that book, and it's written by Alexander Dumas. And if you've never heard of that book before, chances are you've heard of some of his other books that he's written because many of his books have become famous movies. So this is the same author who wrote The Three Musketeers or The Man in the Iron Mask, if you've ever seen those films or read those books. I've never actually watched the movie. I've only watched a part of the movie, but from what I've heard, it's an excellent film. Um, But uh, suffice to say, it is a fantastic book. And I think one of the reasons why I like the book, or so many of us like the book, is because it's this tragic story of this man who is wrongly accused of a crime that he didn't commit. And you see, this man's life is going in such a good direction. Everything is working out well for this man until he's framed for treason. And because of that, he's thrown into a prison cell and kind of the key is pretty much thrown away as he is left here basically to rot. And what's exciting about the story is is that he eventually escapes the prison and takes revenge on all those people who wronged him. There's something about revenge stories, about people taking justice into their own hands and being able to pay back wrongdoing that was done to them about fighting back in systems of injustice and allowing yourself to be made known to that person who wronged you. I think that's why a story like that appeals to me. But if you think about it, there are so many films that tell a similar story of someone being able to get revenge. Well, today's message is going to be a lot different We're not going to be talking about revenge. Instead, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. What I think is a much more powerful concept, forgiveness. So in order to do that, I'd like for you guys to open up to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 21 through 35 today. And for those that don't know yet, I I typically read out of the NIV version unless I say otherwise. So we will be putting up the scripture verses on the screen, but just want to encourage you, as I have before, to get familiar with your own Bibles, to bring your Bible to church, because I think it is, at least I know in my life, such a healthy thing to be able to know how to navigate through God's Word. So I encourage you to uh, bring your own Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we will get a Bible in your hand. We'll, we'll be happy to gift you with one. So Matthew chapter 18, and again, we're going to be reading through verses 21 through 35, but it begins like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister whose sins Against me, I'll say that again. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? 
Now, if you didn't know, the reason why Peter is naturally asking this question is because in the beginning chapter of chapter 18 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is laying out a formula, if you will, on how to deal with conflict. And this formula is very, very helpful. So if you are ever dealing with conflict with another individual, I encourage you to read the whole entire chapter of Matthew chapter 18 because Jesus masterfully helps us understand how we should deal with conflict with others. So naturally, because he's dealing with this concept of reconciliation and forgiveness, Peter is asking what kind of question? Well, yes, Jesus, I get that we're supposed to forgive people. I get that we're supposed to be people that reconciles people back into fellowship. But really, how many times should we do that? Seven? Now, when I remember reading this when I was a youth and reading the word seven there, and I just about had a heart attack, and I immediately thanked God that my parents did not follow this rule. Because <laughs> I figured if all my parents were to forgive me seven times, then I would be doomed. Because <laughs> usually they needed to forgive me more than seven times in a single day. But what's interesting about this number of seven that, G, uh, that, that Peter pulls up, really we know out of nowhere, is the fact that in their tradition, the rabbis believed that the number of times that you were to forgive a person was three times. And after three times, then you could withhold forgiveness to that individual. So really, when Peter was saying, Jesus, should we forgive somebody up to seven times, Peter was actually being radically generous with how many times a person could be forgiven. I mean, he was saying a number that was literally over two times what the rabbis would have been teaching. And I can't help but think to myself and wonder if, G if Peter was saying this number. Was he saying this number? Was he saying such a high number for their culture? Because he figured if I shoot this high and I'm wrong, it, at the very least, I look like a very merciful person. You know, kind of like when you try to compliment somebody on losing weight. And in reality, they maybe lost a couple pounds, but you say, wow, he looks like he lost 20 pounds there, because you just don't want to get those kinds of things wrong, right? Was Peter doing something like that? I don't think we know. But what's interesting is Jesus's response. And let's take a look really quickly to think about Jesus's response here in verse 22. He says what? He says this. Jesus answers Peter by saying, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Say that with me, 77 times. So not three, not seven, not even 20 times, but 77 times you are to offer forgiveness. 
Now, when I read this again as a youth, I said, well, gosh, do I have to keep track of 77 times before I could tell somebody I don't forgive them anymore? I think Jesus is actually doing something different here. And I think in order to understand this, we need to understand the word forgiveness or the word that that Jesus uses here for forgive. And it's the Greek word, afiami. And what this roughly means, and we'll put it on the, the screen for here, what afiami roughly means is to forgive, to lay aside, to let alone. Look at this key word here, to let go, to let be, to omit, to yield up. Forgiveness is about letting go. It's about letting go of the hurt that's been done in your life, of the pain that somebody or something has caused you. So when Jesus says this, forgive them 77 times, what he's actually telling his disciples here is he's saying that you need to have a posture of letting go. And what's amazing about this, and it's easy to miss this, is he's actually looking back to the book of Genesis. For any Bible nerds out there, if I were to ask you the question, who in the Bible committed the first murder, some of you would say, Cain. In the famous story of Cain and Abel, two brothers who present their gifts to God, where Abel is giving the first fruits of what he has to God, and in doing that, God is so satisfied by Abel's offering, and because of that satisfaction, Cain does what? He gets jealous over his brother, and he gets angry over his brother, and what happens? That jealousy and anger, they turn into bitterness and the anger continues to grow and to grow and to grow. And what kind of posture is Cain having in that moment? He's having a heart of total anger and unforgiveness and just resentment towards his brother Abel. So one day Cain takes Abel out into the field and he murders him. And because of this, God punishes Cain, and Cain has to live under a curse. But what's so interesting about this story is that if you continue on in Cain's life, Cain has many children. And one of those children's name is Lamech. And Lamech, what's interesting about him is that Lamech follows in the sins of his own father. And he ends up murdering somebody himself. But scripture makes it very clear that the person that he murders, what he did is so wrong. But unlike his father Cain, because you see sin has a way of just increasing if not dealt with. What, unlike his, his, his father Cain, he goes home to his two wives and he literally sings a song celebrating in his murder. And he says in that song, Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. 
So right here, what are you seeing in Scripture? You're seeing a reflection that God is offering. Again, you see this number seven in 77. We're in the Old Testament. We're seeing vengeance. We're seeing evil. We're seeing resentment and anger and unforgiveness in all of those wicked emotions in life that many of us are very familiar with, whether we've done things acting out of anger or received somebody's anger in our lives. And what is Jesus doing? In the same way that sin is increasing, Jesus is saying grace increases all the more. And that forgiveness can be offered to those that need it. And what Jesus is really doing here is he's saying that forgiveness is something that is unlimited. Forgiveness is something that is unlimited. You see, his number of 77, he wasn't putting a large limit on forgiveness. He was canceling out the limits that we put on forgiveness. Now, in writing this message, I first needed to really preach to myself. Because you see, a couple years ago, I traveled back down to Florida, and while I was there, I had such a wonderful time with my family. But unfortunately, there's a family member of mine who, at the very least, he, he, he's made some rough choices in life, and that roughness has come out in the way that he speaks. And I remember calling him on the phone, and, and um, I hadn't spoken to him for a while, and immediately I could tell that this uh, man was under some form of substance that he shouldn't have been taking, and he starts yelling at me and cursing at me and threatening violence on my parents, and I remember being so angry in that moment, angry like I, I don't think I've ever been angered before. I think one, because I was so caught off guard by the way that he was communicating and that it felt like a swing in the other direction from me being happy to talk to him to hearing that he was going to commit violence towards my family and towards my mom. And make no mistake, as a, as, as a son, you feel a certain protectiveness over your mother. And hearing that got me very, very, very upset. But what I didn't realize is, is that from that moment, I definitely harbored a sense of unforgiveness towards him. And I wouldn't even just say unforgiveness, but hatred. And I didn't realize it, but in my heart, I began to hate that man. So when I was writing this message this week, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was reminding me of this. Because you see, a few months ago, I committed myself to trying to forgive this individual but I realized that as I was working on this sermon this week that I, even though I began to forgive him in my heart, that work of forgiveness was not made complete. So I did something very uncomfortable for me, something that I didn't want to do, but I committed myself to doing it this week because honestly, who am I to preach to you if I can't live out what I preach? I think that would make me a very poor pastor if I can't live out what I try to encourage you to, to, you to do. So I called this gentleman just to talk to him, just to say hello. And I realized in that conversation that he had no recollection of what he said to me, probably because he was under some sort of substance that maybe blinded that side of his mind. And I was looking for that avenue to bring it up again and tell him that how he wounded me, 
and how I forgive him now. But this conversation ended up being one where I just wanted to let him know that I care for him, that I was thinking about him, and that I was happy to be talking to him again. And we talked for 30 minutes on the phone, and it was great. And I felt in some ways in my heart forgiveness being something that I wasn't just receiving, but now that I was giving. And you see, I think this is what Jesus is trying to point us to. He's trying to point us to a concept of forgiveness. And I think if we think to ourselves in our, in our own lives, we all need to realize that some of us have hurt others. That some of us may be thinking now, even as I'm preaching, of the hurt that you've done to others. Maybe it was the words that you have said, the thoughts that you have entertained, or the things that you've done that has caused pain in, some, in someone else's life. And maybe for others of you here, maybe some of you are thinking of the pain that has been committed against you, how it has hurt you and left a lasting scar on your life. Well, here's the beautiful thing is that the gospel message, what Jesus came to do is to remedy that pain. Whether it's the pain that you live with and knowing that you've caused hurt into somebody else's life or the pain that you live with in knowing that someone has hurt you. Because you see, unforgiveness is just as dangerous. Make no mistake, even if you are somebody who has wrongly received the blunt end of somebody's stick in your life, allowing that pain to turn into unforgiveness, it could be just as dangerous. Some people like to say that unforgiveness or bitterness is like taking poison and hoping the other person dies. And I think there's some truth to that statement because in some ways, what does unforgiveness do? It is like a toxin to the heart. It causes a growing seed of resentment and bitterness to dwell in our hearts. And I think in very many ways, it undermines the work of God. And to illustrate this point even more to Peter and those that were listening with him, Jesus does something very remarkable, but yet very in character for who he is. And he tells a parable. And if you don't know what a parable is, it's an illustrative story to make a, an object lesson point. And he tells this story in uh, the verses that follow from verse 23 to 35. He tells the story called the unmerciful servant. And in that story, he tells a tale of a servant and a king. You see, this king was a powerful king, or a master is, is what uh, the scriptures use. And, and, and this master, this king, decided to call all of his subjects in and to make an account for the things that were owed to him. Well, in doing that, he realizes that one of his servants owes a great sum Maybe your Bibles say 10,000 gold talents. Maybe some of your Bibles say 10,000 gold bags. But either way, it's a huge sum. And I think in some ways the English language diminishes how big of a number this is. Because if you didn't know, in Greek, this number of 10,000 is the highest Greek numerical value. 
to put that in perspective in America, I looked this up. Uh, if you were to guess what the largest note is, the do- largest dollar denomination that you could carry, I'm sure some of us would get this wrong because I had to look it up for myself. But in fact, the largest denomination that was ever made uh, in, in U.S. currency was a $10,000 note. Wouldn't you like to be given a $10,000 note? <laughs> I know I would. Well, this, uh, the last $10,000 note was uh, printed off in 1945. And this note of a huge sum is no longer used within our society, although if you have one, I'm willing to receive it. <laughs> or at least give it to the church, right? <laughs> That's when you're supposed to say amen, Barb. <laughs> well, this sum would have been huge in their culture, and a talent is one of the largest sums that you can have. So when the story in Jesus speaks of this 10,000 gold talents or 10,000 gold bags, in our modern day equivalent, it would, like, it would be like saying a million dollars or a billion dollars or a trillion dollars. Basically, what Jesus wants to communicate in this story is that it's a sum so high that there is no chance that this individual could repay the sum. So what does the king do in this story? He calls his subject in, he calls his servant in, and he asks that this sum be paid out to the king. But of course, the servant can't pay it. So the king decides that he's going to throw not just this servant into prison, into jail, but that he's going to throw his wife into prison, that he's going to throw his children into prison. Because his debt is so big that it's going to follow the generations that come after him. And immediately, the servant, just feeling the weight of this situation and the debt that he can't seem to repay, he falls on his knees and he begins to beg and plead to his master that he would withhold from that punishment. And he tells him, I'll repay you. I'll repay you. Just be patient with me. Give me more time and I'll repay you. And as Jesus tells the story, it says that he took pity on his servant. And instead of being patient with him in repaying the debt, the king does something amazing, something radical. And he looks at his servant and he tells him that his debt has been canceled that his note that he owes him has been forgiven. Now, I'd like to tell this story to the person that owns my mortgage. (laughs) And I'm sure some of us would all like to do that as well, especially if you're young with student uh, debt. That's, That's the problem of my generation, right? But what an amazing illustration of radical generosity And I think you could probably already see why Jesus is telling this parable, right? Because that debt is like what? It's like the sins of our own lives, right? Because you see, when we sin, when we sin, we 
create our own sense of debt. We create our own number that we ultimately cannot repay. And the beauty of the gospel is that when we go to Jesus, when we go to our master, when we go to our king, and we realize that we can't repay that debt, and that the right punishment for that debt is what? To be cast away from the presence of the king. To be sent from a place where God's presence is no longer there. We call that hell, but really the reality of hell is is that it's scary because God's presence isn't there, and I'll most likely preach on this on a different week of this series. But that's the beauty of grace, is that God realizing that us in our natural disposition are fallen people who have hurt each other, and more specifically, who have hurt ourselves and have hurt God, that God is willing to take this huge, insurmountable debt that we cannot pay and do what? Cancel it. Say it is clean and totally cleanse us. It's why the psalmist David wrote, He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. Church, what is the debt in your life? What is the debt in your life that you've been carrying around that you have not yielded up, you have not let go, you have not forgiven or allowed forgiveness to be something that God gives you in your life. What's amazing about this story is that it doesn't end there. You see, you would think that if you had just been forgiven this insurmountable debt, this debt that just not only threatened your life, but the th- threatened the sake of your whole entire family. You would think that from that moment on, you would maybe run home and hold your family a little closer that day, right? That you would maybe squeeze your children a little closer and hold them a little bit more tightly. But that's not what this servant did. It says that this servant immediately went off and he looked for another fellow servant that owed him money. And Jesus says that this servant began to choke the other man and began to hold his hands up to his throat and pressed him against the wall. And it says in scripture that this man said, pay back what you owe me and demanded that this man pay him back. Now the sum that this man owed him was a hundred silver coins. So again, to put this in perspective, 
if we were to take a billion dollars that this other man owed him, this sum was one six hundred thousandths of the amount that the first servant owed. So in today's dollars, if the first servant owed a billion dollars, this other servant owed $1,500. Pennies in comparison. And he holds them against the wall and chokes him. And as he releases the man, the man falls down to the floor. And just like the servant before him, he begins to beg him and says, I'll repay you. Be patient with me. Please be patient with me. And instead of affording forgiveness to this man or even patience to this man, the wicked servant has him thrown into prison until his debt is repaid. Now, the other servants that are around him, they take notice of what just happened. And they're infuriated by the injustice. So they go back to the master and they tell the master of what just transpired. And the master ends up calling the servant into his court and he begins to lay down to him and say, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he, he owed, which we know he probably never would. And Jesus says this in closing, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now that last line, should strike each and every single one of us in this room. Because church, let's be real. If we are Christians, if you have truly placed your faith in Christ, if this is something that we've committed ourselves to, if we, like the servant, owed a great debt of wrongdoing in our lives and have received God's forgiveness, then we too need to be like our King, our God, and extend forgiveness to others. Amen? We are to be forgiving people because we serve a forgiving God. You see, what happens if we don't forgive? We undermine the work of the Father who forgave us. And what ends up happening is, is instead of being people that inspire forgiveness in the lives of others or allow people to feel hope in life and freedom, we hold ourselves into bondage and we continue to allow the world to remain in bondage. Henry Ward Beecher he was kind of the Billy Graham or the Dwight Moody of his time, said this, I can forgive, but I cannot forget is only another way of saying I will not forgive. Forgiveness ought to be like a canceled note torn in two and burned up so that it can never be shown against one. 
Make no mistake, church, and hear this well, that God's forgiveness for our lives is more generous than our own. Which is why I think Jesus shared this story. Because he wants to remind us of God's radical love for each of us. And it's why the big idea for today, the main point in today's message is, you are forgiven by God. And if I were to add one more line of text to this message, I would say, you are forgiven by God. Now forgive others. Now forgive others. This is why from the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God hatched a plan to redeem us, to offer us forgiveness. This is why Christ came into the world. This is why he suffered on a cross and overcame death so that we could find life through him. Your faith in Christ has made you well and his forgiveness is new every morning. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why we call ourselves Christians. This is why Christ wants us to go into the world and share this message with other people because this is the bondage of life without it. That without forgiveness, we remain in a perpetual state of not being able to pay back the debt. And because of that, we are in a position, in a place where punishment is all that's left for us. The gospel message is God's love for us. It is his forgiveness, and it's why Jesus took the time to tell this story and to remind us that this represents the kingdom of God. Is that power, is that truth real to you? Do you believe that you are forgiven? Do you extend forgiveness to others? And make no mistake, forgiving someone doesn't mean you approve of their behavior. I think many today would have us believe that forgiveness is affirming everyone in their beliefs, right? It's saying, oh, it's okay, yeah, keep doing that. No, we don't affirm people in their beliefs if their beliefs are against God. I wish our denomination could hear that a little bit more. We don't affirm people in our beliefs or in their beliefs just because because we are forgiving people. No, forgiveness is about saying you don't need to be in that bondage. Your pain is not going to affect me in life because I've been redeemed by Christ. And it's offering that to others. It's not affirming them in their sin but it's offering it to others so that they too can experience what you're experiencing. Because here's the thing, if you just affirm everybody in what they believe, if you just say, yeah, it's okay, you can keep using me like a doormat, then you know what ends up happening in their lives? Well, for one, they don't end up changing. And they continue to increase their debt against God. And then two, it undermines Jesus' work on the cross. Because the beauty about his work is that we needed something to be saved from. And if we erase sin, then what was the point of his sacrifice? Why did he have to suffer like that? So every time that we erase sin and try to recalibrate the Bible to fit into our own narratives, what we're doing is is we're undermining the work of God. And in my opinion, 
we're diminishing Jesus' suffering. We never should do that. But I do want to encourage you to realize that forgiveness is a gift. It's something that's precious and it's invaluable. It gives life, it brings hope. Ultimately, none of us deserve it. And the people that hurt us in our lives, you may feel like they don't deserve it. But if we are to believe in our hearts that Jesus has forgiven us, then we are to model forgiveness to the world, amen? Chances are that there has been somebody in your life that has hurt you. That there are scars that you wear. Maybe I can't see them. Maybe you're really good at hiding them. But they're there. And for others of you, there's maybe some moments in your life. Maybe it happened in your youth. Maybe it happened this morning. And you've hurt people. And you've created in perpetuating debt in this world. Both peoples need to receive forgiveness, whether it be extending it to someone else or receiving it for yourself. So we're going to do something a little different today. Jessica and Barb have one more song that we're going to sing, or pardon me, that they're going to sing. And if it's okay, Jess and Barb, I'd like to invite you up to the stage And this is what we're going to do. Instead of you singing along with Jessica, I want us to have uh, an active application today. And to do this, I'd this, I'd like this to be a little different. I'd like to invite the worship team up, and as they sing, I want you, I want to invite you to think about your sins, whether past or present. And as you do, no matter how painful it may be, I want you to visualize those sins and then place them in a bottle. And as you take that bottle, I want you to throw it in the ocean. And I want you to visualize throwing it in the ocean and it just drifting away through the love of Christ. That God has forgiven that sin and God has taken that sin and thrown it into the sea forever to be gone. For it to not hold you down anymore. And as it drifts away into the water, to be forgotten forever, I want you to thank Christ for his sacrifice. I want you to thank him for his forgiveness in your life. Now, if some of you in this room who are dealing with a burden of hurt, I want you to do something else. If there's unforgiveness in your heart, I want you to think of that pain that was made real by somebody else in your life or whatever situation it may be. And I want you too to give it to God. I want you to ask him to help you to not approve of that pain, but to let it go. To yield it up to him so that I can no longer hurt you. And if it is possible, I want you to offer forgiveness to that person. If, they're, if they've passed away, if it was your parents and they're no longer here, you could still audibly say that to just let it go to yourself or say it within your mind, whatever, whatever it is that you know you need to do to let it go. And I want us to practice forgiveness today.
both receiving it and extending it. So will you do that? So as Jessica sings and Barb plays, I want you guys to do that as a congregation.